dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church. Powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I am your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and threads and any social media at Burns Clan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness. He has a very extensive bio, the man, the myth, the legend, but two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself. You can follow him at, at jamartisby.substack.com. Dr. Jamar Tisby, what's going on, brother? What's up, man? What's up, man? Listen, man, we were having this discussion. I want to take it to the people. If you had to create the infinity gauntlet of white savior films, like the five that you just got to get to level up, to do the snap, I was thinking, and you know what was funny? When we started having this conversation, we're like, oh, yeah. We, we got to like two or three. Yeah. And we were like, hmm. And then the floodgates opened. The floodgates. There is a disturbing amount of film. We were that like, oh, this fit film, into this that white film. savior genre. We could go back and we could, we were thinking about so many. Okay, so we'll alternate and we'll give the five. <laughs> Obviously, y'all know the Infinity Gauntlet. If you imagine Thanos has um, blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> If you imagine, <laughs> if you imagine that Thanos has one hair, still eyes. purple skin, or it's, so, so Thanos is black, right? I mean, we've established this, right? Thanos is black, right? That's a whole conversation. Is he black? Is Thanos black? Okay, I'm sorry, I'm getting this? off track. I'm sorry. Bo's looking at me like, "Come on, get up, get back on track." Okay, so I'll start with one. Okay, one that I think is pretty obvious that we can all get behind: the help. Oh my! Oh yes, quintessential. You is kind. You is smart. <laughs> you was important. And everybody was like, everybody was tearing up like, oh, this is so beautiful. This is so, this is a white savior film. And this is pretty bad. Yeah, because the center of the story is the white journalist who all of a sudden sort of eyes opened to like the plight of the black help and wants to tell their story. But she's still the center of the story. And we actually don't learn a whole lot about black people and the help and their plight as uh except for a few glimpses it's really about this young white woman on a mission to try to find herself through journalism what's number two what's the power stone um so you could kind of go all the way back you know i'm mr roots according to you so there's even though i appreciated the book there's some senses in which the movie to kill a mockingbird Mm. is a white savior movie because again the story centers on white figures of course scout Uh, the little girl, but then her father, Atticus Finch, who's a lawyer defending a black man accused of a crime who you hardly hear from, you hear from Atticus Finch. And then if you go, if you read her second book, uh, go tell the watchman something. Is that? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. It's even more in your face. Like Atticus Finch is not this ultra, you know, racially aware person. Nah, he ain't it. So, you, you, you might have to put To Kill a Mockingbird on there. That's funny because I wasn't even going to go that far back. So that's really interesting. Okay, now this this one, there's there's a lot of ones we could talk about. And I love that you went that far back because this one is more recent. It's hard to, it's hard to forget, but it was one of those things where you, it was even 2019. It was that soon. It's hard to imagine it was that soon. The Before Times. Dog. Green Book. Oh, yeah, so this is the one. Vigo Mortensen, Mahershala Ali. Uh, Ali is this jazz player, musician, um, yeah. touring the South, 
but can't go by himself because it's segregated. So it's like 50s or 60s or something like that. I don't know. And then uh, uh, Viggo Mortensen is his driver. It's sort of a role reversal, right? Where the black character is the talented one, the celebrity, the wealthy one. The white character is the down on his luck, working class, whatever. But it turns into a white savior movie because Viggo Mortensen's character is the one who grants access to Ali's character and you know the whole the whole trope of this couldn't have happened without the white person it's so funny we were talking earlier and you told me that it beat out black Klansmen, roma a star is born a star is born a number of other films bohemian rhapsody but the biggest one is it literally beat out black panther black for panther. best picture and you know what was funny about this is everybody continuously says Everybody says, oh, Black Panther didn't deserve a nomination. It didn't deserve to be in there. It was just there for um, diversity points and all this. And I'm like, literally, the one that won is there for diversity right. points. Like, That's the one. Are you serious? That wow. was wild. So Green Book, yeah, we got to include that. So we've got uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. We've got The Help. We've got Green Book. What's number four in the Infinity Gauntlet of White Savior films? So uh, this is a little bit older, 90s. But everybody's going to know it as soon as I say it, because it is it, it's it's on the Infinity Gauntlet. It's within this pantheon, sort of like quintessential white savior movie. And that is Dangerous Minds. Man. <laughs> you remember this joint with Michelle Pfeiffer? She uh, It's based on a true story. She plays this ex-Marine named Luann Johnson, who gets a job teaching in California and her classroom is full of a bunch of black and brown students. And this white lady has no idea how to relate to them until, <laughs> until she comes to school in her black leather jacket. <laughs> She's all cool. And then teaches them like martial arts to like connect with them from her Marine days. Right. And then um, I'm avoiding eye contact. <laughs> Through through this series of, you know, connections and everything, she becomes this rock star teacher and helps save these poor inner city kids. Like, that's one of the favorite uh, stories and tropes of the White Savior movies is the white teacher coming into the inner city school and drawing out, revealing to these poor underserved students their brilliance that they never would have <laughs> discovered without this teacher. So I can't think of I can't think about that movie without thinking about the modern remake of it which is Freedom Riders. Freedom right? Riders. And so it's with Hillary Swank. Hillary and it's so Swank. interesting they have that line to you know step across the line if you're part of a gang. You know, and everybody's oh. like, wait, what? <laughs> like, we're, we're not going to admit that. And then she's like, oh, let me play Tupac for you. And it's just look at look at what he's doing with literature and all this. And I'm like, fam. <laughs> Like, keep a diary. On. Keep a diary. Yeah, like keep a diary. Oh my goodness, your lives are so hard. I have so much yeah, empathy just, for you now. There's so many we could mention. Okay, so here's one that I think we need to mention because there's so many we could mention, but one we need to mention is Avatar. Yeah. Now listen, I now, know it's not technically because of the different species. <laughs> right, they're blue. <laughs> but it's like Jake really just gonna come in and he gonna be the savior of uh, really. He's a savior of all the people. Like, that's what it... And I get some people are making these points like, oh, you know, this is what he's trying to say. This is what he means and all this. And I'm like, I, personally for me... But 
he becomes one of them, Tyler. He goes indigenous. Right. Like, you know, Dances with Wolves, Everlast Man, Samurai, bro. or, hey. you know. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have honorable mentions right. here. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, there's so many we could mention. Hardball, Cool Runnings, but you know the sixth one, the one that is in the middle, the one that causes Whitewash, White Thanos to power up. This, this is where we like f- flip into another franchise, the one ring to control them all. <laughs> What's number six, bro? Number six has to be and is The Blind Side. I remember watching this film and everybody talking about how much of a feel-good story it was. It it really shocks me how much white evangelicalism exercises control not just over bodies and laws and church conditions, but also in our view of art, in our view of what's entertaining, what's wholesome, what's feel-good. Obviously, The Blind Side is the story of the Tui family who sees Michael Orr, allegedly, according to the film, walking down the street by himself, you know, very large black young man. And they discover he's got these incredible gifts and they just need to take a chance on him. And I I just couldn't see him, couldn't bear to see him walking by himself. He's this and unpolished stone that he's they just, just need We just to need shine. to, he's Ferdinand the Bull, you know. He's, <laughs> you know, that's what she said. He's, <laughs> he's Ferdinand the Bull. And all of a sudden, uh, Sandra Bullock, you know, who's playing Leanne too, is she, she's the one who blazes the trail and advocates on his behalf and Gets him the opportunity for a better life. And Teaches him what it means to have a family and be part of a family. And then defending the family, just yeah. like you defend. Make sure nobody gets through. It was it was that simple. All he needed was Leanne Tui to tell him, don't let anybody get to the quarterback. That's it. He's Whoa. like, just defend. It was that simple. It's just, it's just, she was waiting for that his Ooh. whole life. He was just, bro. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean. So it's in the news now. Um, the the reason why this is coming back up is Michael Orr, who's a former NFL football player, has brought a case to court alleging that the Tui family never officially adopted him. And he didn't find out until February 2023 that what he thought were adoption papers that he was signing were actually conservatorship papers they gave them the Tui family full control over contracts, finances, everything like that, but did not legally adopt him into the family. And so now he's going public with it all. He says that this movie, The Blind Side, which is based off his life, he literally said in these uh, articles breaking the story um, that, you know, the story would not have existed without him. This film, The Blind Side, made $300 million and he said he didn't get his fair share of it. And that the Tui family sort of exploited him, took all the money, mm-hmm. and now he's going to court to get his fair share and make sure that, that folks know this wasn't right. And what was interesting is the, the Tui family told him, apparently, that, oh, it's a small amount of, of money for the story. We're just going to split it five ways amongst the family. And he found out, oh, they're getting money and royalty checks I'm not receiving. They're getting something I'm not getting. And so... He comes out and says, this is wrong. I've been deceived. It's a lie. But also, I, I think of, first of all, the human element beyond the, the movie element, the entertainment side of things. He thought this was his family. Mm-hmm. Bro. And, and, and at the end of, and on a base level, he thought this was his family. And regardless of what you think about the way it worked out, 
the Tuis had become his family. And he assumed that this was the family that he could depend on, lean on, all the above, all beyond all the drama. He just assumed this was his family. And you find out years later, this is not my family. Like that is the the most devastating part. Like the money part is fuzzy, right? Like there's a part where, I mean, who gets book advance and royalties? Then the movie comes, who gets the advance? Who's getting the royalties? How much was it? Yeah. Was it dist- so? So part of what the lawsuit is is demanding that or is presenting is uh, a, a full accounting of all those funds, right? But that, that's the part about the adoption that I think, I mean, I would assume is sort of at the heart of Michael Orr's pain and frustration because whatever situation goes on with the money, he thought he was part of the family. Yes. And like I said, he didn't find out until February of 2023. This conservatorship is signed in 2004. Wow. So for all these years, he thinks he's in the family legally adopted and it turns out he's essentially just a ward of the Tui family. I can't imagine the amount of pain and betrayal, which is only on top of he didn't like the film. So this is the other thing, right? So the so the the other side of this is this film portrayed a picture and an image of him. And that picture and that image of him was not an image that advanced him or helped him to succeed. It put his name out there, but it put his name out there attached to, oh, he's just some, again, another trope, big black brute mm-hmm. who doesn't have, he doesn't have intellectual sense. He's he's behind intellectually. He's behind in school. He needs someone to motivate him and speak to him in a way he understands. And so he's even said that he would be in locker rooms and people would see him and assume, oh, you don't have any leadership you know, we can't make you a captain. We can't make you head of this particular the old line intellectual ability because you don't have right. that ability to do that. Oh, you're just quiet, and you're just going to say this. He's like, this has never been true. I've never liked this portrayal of, right. of me in the film, and it's striking because of the fact that he's playing at the highest level the highest of football. Level. He's playing yeah. for the Ravens. He's he's exceeding. He's accomplished his dreams. And that film has such a power that it literally overshadows mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. his great accomplishments. Yeah. He can't even get past it, even after he's achieved everything. So what did the Tuis really do for him? You know, what did it actually do for him in the end other than, oh, yeah, it gave him a way to get to the NFL, which we assume he wouldn't have gotten on his own right. or with other help. Right. But it also stigmatized him. And at what cost? Right. So what I find interesting, the movie is based on a book and the Hmm. book is a guy is written by a guy named Michael Lewis, who has written some phenomenal works, including Moneyball about the Oakland A's and Billy B. Yeah. Billy B. Gaming essentially using what's what's called sabermetrics or the the analytic system in in baseball. I used to study sabermetrics. Here we go. Yes. I was like, okay. I did a whole project. I did a whole project on sabermetrics. (laughs) Look it up. Look me up. We could get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Look look, look me up. Look me up online. Google Chrome. Uh, He wrote wrote Moneyball. He also wrote um, uh, The the Big Big Short, Short. Yeah. Which was an amazing film. Um, adapted, but so so he's like a very accomplished author. He also wrote The Blind Side, 
And what's so interesting is in the wake of Michael Orr bringing this lawsuit, um, the LA Times went back into their archives and was like, you know what? We had a book review that was actually foreshadowing a lot of this stuff. So, so one of the things that men, an impression that many of us had when the film came out, which was like, I think it was like 2009, was that it was kind of cringe, right? Like, Absolutely. like, like we, we, we could sense this. I mean, it was, among the white savior movies we mentioned, this is pretty over the top, like in your face. There was no attempt at nuance or complication. Right. It was Sandra Bullock is this the the super Wonder Woman. Right. You know, she's she's the person who's she wins an Oscar for it. It was over the top. Over the top. And come to find out, that's not just a problem in the movie, it's a problem in the book. In the source material itself. Mm. So Michael Lewis, this accomplished author. So anyway, this LA Times book reviewer is like, I don't get it because he's written these awesome books, but he seems to really put the kid gloves on when he's talking about the Tui family. And then this is what he wrote in this LA Times book review. He said, as I tore through the book, I kept wondering how Lewis got such remarkable access to the Tuis. And I also wondered, why does he take such an uncritical view of their role? Hmm. The author's note at the end provides the obvious explanation, stating that Lewis is a friend of Sean Tui's and that they had been longtime classmates oh. at the same New Orleans school. Oh. At the end of the book? At the author's note, at the end of the book. So you got to read the way, through the whole book. By the way, this is a friend I went to grade school with and we're boys and I'm writing the book about him and his family rescuing, quote unquote, this black giant. Wow. So, so we see. That's a bombshell, bro. I mean, this was all the way back in 2006 when the book came out. So it's been there embedded for years. And then we come to find out that, you know, the author of the book on which the movie is based had a very strong personal relationship and bias in the film, which which comes out. Right. And then now all of this stuff. Now, to, to, to this is messy, bro. Not to be f the, the two he's responded. Okay, so first they say that Michael Orr came to them and demanded $15 million or he's going to go public with a negative story. Where they get this particular amount, $15 million, I don't know. But basically they're saying that him going public with this story is part of a shakedown to get what he wants. Then we also talked about the money. They're alleging, you know, they didn't take anything that wasn't due to them. Um, or get any sort of exorbitant amount of money. Um, they also agreed, which is what part of the lawsuit that Orr bring was to end the conservatorship. They also agreed to, to end the conservatorship. Um, it hasn't happened as we're recording it, but they verbally through lawyers stated that they'd be willing to do that. So, um, thanks. They're responding. Sandra Bullock even responded because of course she plays Le Leanne right. Tui. First of all, this comes less than two weeks after her longtime yeah, partner. Yeah, her partner passes from ALS. Yes, died from ALS. And that was absolutely tragic. And really so devastating. I saw a couple of people who had posted tweets and then removed them because they said out of respect for right, her. Right, yeah. So she's, she's going literally through. grieving. I think wow. they've been together eight years or something. And, and he dies after a three-year battle with ALS. And then this comes out. And she just says, I think through a spokesperson or something, she's just heartbroken because it 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 changes the way people view the movie and all of that. I mean, 
And then people were calling Wait, hold on up. her. We need, I need to read this statement because yeah. I, I hope that's not the only thing she said. She didn't go into it. She did not go into it. Um, but there were people online like calling for her to like give her Oscar back and whatnot. But people also came to her defense like, this is an actress playing a role. She thought the story was true. You know, how much responsibility is there? But, you know, it's messy. I think this has a direct connection to our stories. And you talk a lot about, and really, we talk a lot about this at The Witness. Our stories matter. And we want to tell our stories. And there's a reason why we tell our stories. The reason why we tell our stories is to prevent situations like this. Because if we don't get the opportunity to tell our stories, people will tell our stories for us. So we're going to take a break. And I want to come back and talk about this from a couple of different levels. And... We'll, we'll go ahead and, and, and undo the snap of the White Savior film right after this break. Hey, everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pastor Mike. But let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Pastor Mike. And for just $1 an episode. Just a dollar? Now, that's the bare minimum. That's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, go 10, higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening. But you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and Certificate programs. Begin your Master's or Certificate program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu slash admit. Hey, everybody, this is Tyler Burns with Pastor Mike inviting you to join us for the Active Witness Challenge. You know, here at The Witness, we love symbols. And the 1965 March on Selma was an activation of Christians who loved Jesus and also loved justice. They walked 54 miles for change, for civil rights, for truth, and for freedom. And we want to invite people all across the country to join us for an entire month, the month of September, as we walk, jog, run, swim, or cycle 54 miles wherever we are. Now, this serves two purposes. The obvious purpose, of course, is we are activating our faith for justice, but we are also raising money together for the crucial programs here at The Witness. You've enjoyed our podcasts, our events, all the things that we offer here to encourage black Christians to be free in soul and in body, we want you to join us. You can go to thewitnessfoundation.co forward slash AWC. And here's the awesome thing. You can join teams or even create your own team and encourage people together. Let me just put in a shameless plug. I have a team this year. You can look it up. It's called Feel the Burns. I think Jamar has a team, but don't worry about that. Join my team. But I have a team called Feel the Burns and I want you to join my team. Run or walk. I don't know what I might be walking this, this heat is serious. I might be walking, but run, walk, jog, cycle, swim with me as we commemorate the 1965 March on Selma. Remember, they walked so that we can run.
So there's this scene at the end of The Blind Side where a I'm black... I'm disturbed by how good your memory is for this film. I blocked it out, Listen, go man. for it. <laughs> Listen, we got a pass. I got a testimony. I got a story. But there's a scene at the end of The Blind Side that I'll never forget where a black lawyer is... A uh, black woman is is asking Michael questions separate from everyone else, separate from the Tui family. And she's asking, can you really trust them? You know, can you really trust them? Black women, no. Like, what What do you, are you sure they have your best interests in mind? Are you sure they're for you? And it's haunting now in retrospect, because that was a dramatic representation. Um, number one, it's, it's particularly nefarious how they did it. Because all the black, most of the black characters in the film, if not all of them, other than Michael, are against this. Mm. And trying to pull him away from them. And they're doing that as a sign, oh, his community didn't want him to be with. But now also because in real life, it's proved to be a true, maybe a fictitious dramatic account has proved to be a true consideration. Mm. Do you really think? And as we were going through this, I started to think about the complication of narratives. Mm -hmm. And I started to think about this in this regard. It's never as simple as the story is told if the people who it affects most can't speak for themselves. Come on, Doc. It's never as simple. It's never that simple. I started to think, one of the things I started to think about, honestly, was uh, womanist theologians mm -hmm. and womanist theology. Mm -hmm. And the power of black women being able to simply say and reimagine the text from the perspective of women of color who are in the text and saying, actually, I don't know if this is some great story. You know, you, go, you all talk about Esther all the time. I don't, actually don't think this is like, like this is she's part of a harem. I don't think this mm. is really like, you know, mm. I don't think this is like some feel good, like, yeah, this, this is great. Spoke truth to power. Yeah. Yeah. This is awesome. No, you're, you're, sim you're simplifying the narrative. Yeah. And actually I think this is, a much more dark tale than what we make it to be, to, to be, or even just more complicated than what we have assumed it is. Sure. And if the people who are most affected are not able to write the story, man, listen. It, it's more complicated than that. And I think in America, especially American evangelicalism, has always taught us, and this is actually influential and salient for us. American evangelicalism has also influenced black Christian evangelicals to simplify their stories. This is a something I think about often with just in as a historian, right? Um, who gets to tell the story? Who gets to tell the history, right? Hmm. Part of it, one of the things I think about is I'm a little bit ambivalent sometimes when white authors, white historians profit off of black stories. Like if you wow. read most of the biographies wow. of MLK, they're white authors. They are. Which is not like as historians, they don't have the skills to do the work. I mean, they be cooking. I ain't going to lie to you now. Like, they mean, be, they be in the kitchen. With you know? Jonathan Ike is amazing, but he's a journalist, so he knows yeah. how to write for people Taylor to read branch, right? you know <laughs> taylor branch David right Darrow, yeah. all, all of them right and so in in this case these are white men right 
benefiting off of getting and by benefiting i mean financially through book advances and royalties but also interviews platform expert commentary all of this stuff that are our stories Hmm. in a sense of these are our people these aren't just stories these are our lived experiences right so i'm not saying People of different races and ethnicities can't write about people from different races and ethnicities, but it does complicate things. Not only who gets to tell the story, but who benefits from telling the story, which is part of what Michael Orr is saying. This is my story, not told the way I would have Hmm. said it, which is your point, but also the version that's being told is profiting and benefiting other people. At its core, those types of stories... And those types of story narratives always leave out the structural oppression. Come on. Yeah. It leaves out the systemic racism. So this is like the white pastors who will find somebody down and out and take a picture of them and be like, I just met my friend, you know, Clarence and, you know, Clarence is out here just, you know, he's, he's, he's had some struggles with with drugs and alcohol he says he wants gets his life clean and he's getting baptized today at uh first baptist of the city and and uh you know he's gonna he's gonna go down in the water at daddy's house church and he's just gonna do all this and and it's like cool but also we're telling only a part of his story Mm -hmm. and it's also very dangerous as well because it's robbing him of the ability to define himself mm-hmm. outside of his worst moments. Wow. So what you've done is you've literally taken the ability for Michael Orr to define himself. Yeah. So he cannot represent himself to the world because that has already been done for him. He has already been introduced to the world by a film and a book and a family. And, you know, at one point, Leanne Tui specifically says, well, if we hadn't found him, he'd be dead. Oh, really? Well, ma'am. Oh, he'd be, he'd be dead. Here's your gold medal. Maybe he would have. Maybe he wouldn't have. But you are exercising control over his future. Also, foreknowledge of his future to right. say, oh, all black people were in that particular situation. This is where they end up. Oh, yeah, him. He was. Nobody can get out. Uh, nobody can navigate out of that. Remember James White? When he said he he had a dash cam dog for what reason I don't know he sees a black teenager like this is exactly this is exactly throw what out he did. a bottle like littering and he writes that he's probably boy, got six baby mothers and he he's probably got his whole narrative he's probably got a he's probably gonna end up dead or in jail and he's probably gonna it's like whoa and 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 then the implicit part of that I can't even remember he might have said this explicitly is here's his path apart from the influence of white people because the the implication is this could all be avoided if he was part of a two-parent household had a classical education learned (laughs) the gospel right which by the way only white people can deliver in the correct way is the is often the the assumption right here's the here's the thought experiment too as you're saying it takes the power for michael orr to define himself and more broadly when we don't tell our own stories, right? The way the blind side was characterized in the book and the movie and now popular culture at large is this white family swoops in, 
saves Michael Orr. Without them, he wouldn't be an NFL player, a success or anything. You could tell his same story from the perspective of here's a child who in the most difficult of circumstances, circumstances that most of us couldn't even imagine, found a way to graduate high school, Hmm. go to college on scholarship, make it to the NFL and retire from the NFL Hmm. as a pro. And now he becomes a model of overcoming, of ingenuity, of resilience. Hmm. But that's, that's all true and in the story, but that's not the tone or the angle that it took. And that's what we mean by telling our own stories and what you're saying about the people who are most affected being able to speak for themselves. So if it's a continuum, right, on opposite sides, you want to ask yourself this question, which is it more closely aligned with the way the story is being told? Here's one side of the continuum. With all that you faced and with all that you were dealing with, we found you. On the other side of the continuum is this. With all that you face and with all that you were going through, you survived. That's what it is. He, Michael Orr, made it. He survived. He lived. He kept breathing. He didn't quit. He thrived. Because before they met him, he had to still make it to the point where they met him. Come on, Doc. Come on, Doc. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, hey, hang on, hang on now. I, I, my, my tone changed. My tone changed. Hang on. Let me get back in. Before A they, appeared out of nowhere. Come before on. they met you, you had to get to the place. And you have to be careful about people making your biography start at the point they met you. Wow. Come on. Oh, your biography. He- hello. Your biography starts at slavery. Your biography starts on slave ships. No, no, no. We have more of our history than just our slavery and our oppression. Start our biography way back when. Oh, no, no. It starts in 1776. What's the issue? 1776. No, no. 1619. That's a true authorship of this country. Really, if we want, really want to go back, that's when they, the first enslaved Africans got here. It's, it's, it's redefining this idea of oh no, my life, and and this is what's so interesting and fascinating. I feel like people need to hear this as well. If you're not careful, people will erase what happened before, define you only at the point at your origin starts when the time they met you so that they can predict and limit what you're able to do in the future based upon only what they have seen. Mm. Well, you know, Based upon, you've known me for a year. What Mm. you mean? Based upon what? You've known me for six months. And you're telling me what I'm capable of in the future because you've only known me for six months? I've only shown you, I've, I've not shown you all of me. I've shown you what you've allowed me to show you. Mm. So you can only think of me in limited terms so you can't see me in full terms. I like what you're saying about he had to get to where he could get, get to where he got for them to encounter him. Before you Before. saw me, I made it. Right. I'm looking at it like, oh, this kid is so smart. He's so resourceful. If it's true, he slept in the gym. 
So he figured out a way to survive. He's like, I'm going to sleep over here. I'm going to wait till somebody go leave the door open for me. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to do this. I'm never going to ask for anything. I'm going to figure out how I, how I can. Okay, I'm going to eat over here. I got I got a meal here. And if I get breakfast in the morning, that's two meals. And then I got to go and save some of that and give it to my, to my siblings. Unreal. And that, he, he's a survivor. He's a survivor. And it's, it goes back to that whole thing of you know, mo- like a lot of the most successful people say uh, they don't really believe in th- that luck does play a role, but you have to put yourself in a position to encounter that. Right. But then also we were doing um, faculty training a couple of weeks ago and just highlighting the point that like it's not our job as professors or faculty to instill in our students something from the outside, external, that makes mm. them great. Our job is to draw out what's already what in already them. already is there. Woo. That is, that is all, they already have greatness in their DNA, as Actively Black says, right? And the best mentors, the best educators, they don't come and say, I have what you need. They come and say, you have everything you need. Oof. Let me help draw it out of you. Right? Come on, man. That could have been the story on, with the Tui family. Like, you know what? We were just, Michael had it all. The only thing we gave him was a little bit of structure to support that would help it blossom. Sandra Bullock has just lost her partner. This is not me saying what Sandra Bullock should do. She's an actress and a really, really great actress, a gifted actress. Long career. It would be so powerful. If she said, I'm giving this Oscar back. You think she'd give it back? I'm not saying she would. I'm saying it'd be so powerful to say, in solidarity with this young man, I am not going to profit off of that which has harmed him. If she felt like it truly harmed him, I'm not going to profit off of. That's interesting. It would be so powerful. I'm not telling her she should do it. If she doesn't do it, I'm not going to look down on her. I know there are career implications. There's agency implications. There's industry implications. I'm not looking down on her. I'm not. I'm just saying it would be a powerful sign of solidarity to say, in this particular case, everybody else has their... What's, what's the precedent? What other movies should they let give, them, give awards back? Those movies can handle those movies. I'm hearing this. I've done my own research. I talk with the Tuis. I talk with Michael Orr, and according to what I've seen, because I am a representative for this film and this story, I no longer want to represent this film and this story. Wow. And I'm going to give that Oscar back. It would be so powerful. What, what, what is the extent That's to which people who call themselves allies are willing to separate from the narrative? What is the extent to which they're saying, you know what? I experienced a lot of good here. It advanced me. But to advance me, I had to stand on your shoulders. So I'm going to get off your shoulders. I'm going to get off. I bent, they bent you down and I didn't realize I was stepping on your back. So actually, I'm going to get up and let you stand up. And I'm going to take a step back and let you establish what's reparation in this particular situation. And I hear a lot of people, especially when it comes to black stories, they're like, man, that's sad. Yeah, I can't believe they did that. Okay, now, how did you participate in this narrative? How did we 
participate in this narrative. There's endless applications for this. Black men with black women. Like black black people with with those who have different sexual orientations, who have been uh, oppressed and opposed and marginalized, coming alongside them and saying, we shouldn't have treated you like this. This is wrong. There's endless applications to this. And so in what ways are we going to enter into the narrative enough to say, you know what? I, I need to I need to put something down so that you can stand up. So from Bullock's point of view, this is her statement. She said, uh, this is through a spokesperson. It said, Bullock, quote, hates that her involvement in a story that she believed to be true has been, quote, tainted by the allegations according to the Daily Mail. Going on, she hates that such a wonderful story, a spectacular movie, and a spectacular time in her life has now been tainted, a source told, told the British tabloid. Now people won't watch it, and if they do, they'll have a completely different reaction to its original tent. One more paragraph. The person added, there was so much hard work put into the film that they all thought was the truth. And now that has been questioned. It just upsets Sandra to no end that a time in her life that was so special is now shadowed with a completely different perspectives. And armchair critics were out in force on social media to comment on the controversy. But most observers had the sense to know that blaming an actress for taking a role isn't exactly the wisest course of action. Bullock starred in the fictionalized adaptation of the film, said a uh, film critic, uh, Richard Roper. It's totally misguided and unfair to assign blame to her for the new and deeply disturbing allegations about the real life story. Yeah, now her statement was boo-boo. Now I ain't gonna lie that to was, you. Um, a, that't statement was bad. I wouldn't say spectacular that was, film. Uh, that film bad, sis. Like we just need to <laughs> we somebody point to the side and be like, sis, I love you, but sis, it's just it's a bad film. You gave us speed. You gave us a lot of great films. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, <said> speed. <laughs> Blindside ain't one of them. It's cool. Like, just let it go, sis. You know what I'm saying? The Academy ain't got the best taste. Just let it Just let it go, sis. Wow. But nah, I, hey, it's, it's not for me to judge what this feels like for her. I'm just simply saying it would be such a powerful symbolism to say, I'm going to separate myself from this narrative. Do you realize that for some of us, all we have is the power to tell our own story. For some people, that's all they got. Just the ability to say, no, 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 I'm not going to allow you to define me like that. I, and I've seen it. I've seen people who are, quote, unquote, about, according to people, down and out. And they'll refuse help from certain people. Say, uh-oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to be a, your video. Yeah, I'm not going to be a video subject. Yeah. I'm not going to be your social media come up. I'm not going to let you go viral off my name. I ain't even on social media. Rather, I'm going to choose to stay in my situation and maintain the ability to tell my story. And there's something powerful in that. With everything they went through, they survived. That's the point. And Michael Orr needs to be reintroduced to the world. We don't know the details of the legal, the money. We don't know any of that. It's just very apparent. He never got to introduce himself as the survivor that he really is. Well, in all of this, hopefully we'll be more aware and we won't be blindsided by another film like this.